You're listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hull United Methodist Church. Be sure to visit us at hopehullumc.org sermons, where you can subscribe to future episodes of SermonCast and browse our archive of past messages. Thanks for tuning in. Several years back, a prominent Christian influencer, you guys know about influencers, right? That's a thing now, people on social media who have a lot of influence. So there's some Christian influencers, and a popular or well-known one uh, decided to take a poll. And the poll was about uh, the maybe, maybe controversies that have erupted in your church, and particularly foolish controversies that have erupted in, in local churches. And this guy's got a lot of followers, and so a lot of people responded. And some of, the, uh, some of the controversies that were there were the usual suspects, right? You could probably guess some of them. You want to give it a shot? Color of the carpet, right? That's like the classic, contemporary traditional, classic. Um, what color to paint the kitchen, all those kinds of things. Those are some of the, the typical quarrels that emerged. People argued over the room temperature in the, in the worship space. But some of the responses about some of the quarrels that emerged were a little less typical. Uh, not quite what you would expect and really kind of surprising. And I wanted to share a few of them with you before we kind of get into Paul's comments on senseless controversies. Uh, these are real, okay? These are real. And here's the first one. Whether to use some land on church property, this is a, this is a question that came up and there was an argument that ensued. Whether to use some of the land on the church property for a playground for, a chi- for the children or a cemetery. Now, which one tells you healthy growing church? (laughs) Another, whether to install restroom stall dividers in the ladies' room. I know, I know. (laughs) There was a 45-minute argument at one church over which filing cabinets to purchase because there are significant and important long-lasting consequences, black or brown. Two drawers, three drawers, or, Tanya, four drawers. We know the answer to that question, right? Why waste time with a two-drawer filing cabinet? I don't even know why they make those. In one church, a major conflict ensued when the youth group borrowed a crock pot out of the kitchen that hadn't been used for years. Don't touch that. It's ours. We haven't, didn't know it was still there, but, you know. One church had a split because someone hid the vacuum from somebody else. Anybody wants to know where the vacuum is, we will let you know. (laughs) You can vacuum all you want. It's fine, by all means. One church had a dispute over whether people could wear black t-shirts, because black, as you know, is the color of the devil. And speaking of the devil, another church had a conflict over whether or not it was appropriate to serve deviled eggs at the potluck. So just be grateful. Just, friends, be grateful. (laughs) Be grateful. Then last, last, one church had an argument over the appropriate length of the worship pastor's beard. So Josh, I need you to come up here. I'm I'm kidding, I'm kidding. (laughs) It's a little shorter now than usual anyway, right? So we're good, we're good. Here's the tape measure if you want it. It's funny, isn't it? Like it's, it's kind of silly. Like we can have a good time, we can laugh a little bit, we can, we can, we can think about how funny these 
conflicts are, right? And just how, how silly they are. But at one, and, and at one level, they are humorous. At another level, though, they're deeply tragic, aren't they? Deeply tragic. And you know why. Because if you're arguing about which filing cabinet to buy or about how long somebody's beard is, about whether or not, like, what to serve. I love deviled eggs, by the way. That's one of my favorite things that we wind up with. I usually have, like, 15 on my plate. If you're wondering where they went. Like, what to serve at the potluck. Right? If we're arguing about those kinds of things, what are we not focused on? The mission and the gospel. And I can't help but think, like maybe the churches that got into these arguments, maybe there was a time where they did care about the gospel. And maybe there was a time where they were focused on the mission. But what happened? How did we get to a point where we're arguing over foolish things like crockpots? How prominent do you think the commitment to the gospel is when we get lured into or ensnared, as Paul's word, by foolish controversies. The whole of 2 Timothy is about this exhortation from Paul to remember the gospel. Remember Christ crucified, Christ risen, Son of David, Son of God. Remember the gospel, Paul says. But Paul knows that silly things can distract us, doesn't he? And foolish things can distract us. And so he has a significant part of the letter instructing Timothy on how crucial it is to not get sucked into that kind of stuff. Because Paul understands the thing that we've got to embrace is that when we allow ourselves to be provoked, we allow the gospel to be forgotten. We get pulled into that kind of stuff, provoked into what Paul calls foolish quarrels. We allow the gospel to be forgotten and the mission to be deterred. Now it looks like there's some specific folks in the congregation in the area who are perpetuating the problems. Because he's going to name some names later on. He tells us about Hymenaeus and Philetus. And apparently they're propagating some, some false teaching about the resurrection having already taken place. We don't get a lot of details about that. Maybe they're thinking, you know, we know Paul talks about when Jesus comes back, He'll raise the dead from their graves like we said in the creed together just a little while ago. Maybe they're saying that's like a purely spiritual experience in the present. There's no real physical resurrection later. Whatever it is, we don't get, he doesn't expound the problem. He assumes Timothy knows what he's talking about. He just mentions these guys, mentions this false teaching. And there's some other false teachings that come up in 1 Timothy. Hymenaeus' name comes up in 1 Timothy, so maybe it's an ongoing problem. And Paul's got to give Timothy some ongoing instructions. 1 Timothy, he mentions myths and endless genealogies. So it just sounds like Paul's saying like there are these people and they're just caught up with these weird speculations and really false teaching and, and it's just making a mess of things. 1 Timothy, he even talks about how this guy Hymenaeus is responsible for shipwrecking the faith. His own and potentially others. Right? He was on the boat, but he ran the boat into, into a wreck. And Timothy obviously knows more about it than we do. But there's a situation where you got Timothy, he's pastoring a church, and you got some people who are 
who, who are propagating speculative foolishness. And Paul wants Timothy to understand how absolutely crucial it is that that gets dealt with in a healthy way. And so he begins to explain to Timothy the consequences of petty arguments. Right? And that's one thing when we find ourselves in those kinds of petty arguments, we're not necessarily thinking about the detrimental consequences of them. Right? Because we're very much focused on what we think should be on the table at the potluck. Or what we think should be the agenda of the meeting. Or whatever it is. Or however long the beard is. Or what color shirt you wear. Like all of those kinds of things. Right? We're focused on that. We're focused on what we prefer, and it's not significant, instead of on the good of the other and the good of the church as a whole. So Paul, at the beginning of second, well, the beginning of our passage today, kind of explains some of the quarrels. In verse 14, he puts it this way. He says, remind them of this, the congregation, and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, right? So, so whatever, whatever the conflict is, he, he just sort of portrays it as this, this silly wrangling over word, inconsequential words. He says that it does no good, not inconsequential, but foolish words. <laughs> We're about to hear the consequences. He says it does no good, but ruins those who are listening. And think about that for just a second. Do I want to be responsible for ruining someone? Like, that's a strong word, isn't it? He's not just sort of saying, like, get them to stop because it's a waste of time. He actually says it's not just a, like, not, if it were only a waste of time, we'd be in better space, wouldn't we? But what's really going on here is there's, there's no good whatsoever in this senseless controversy, this wrangling over words. And so Paul says, not only is it not neutral, there's no good, and it ruins people. And maybe that's the kind of thing that happened in these churches we've heard a little bit about. Maybe there was this love for the gospel and for the mission. Maybe they were marked by other-oriented love. But maybe, just maybe, somebody got sucked into something stupid. And you know what happens then? People pick sides. And now it's us and them, not just that one person. And all of a sudden, the church isn't focused on keeping up with the missionaries and sending support teams. Everybody's drawn the battle lines. And Paul says, like, there's no good there. That kind of thing, he says, ruins Christians and ruins churches. It's no small thing. The consequences are severe. He says in verse 16, another consequence says, avoid profane chatter. So we've got wrangling over words. We've got profane chatter. Later we're going to hear senseless controversies. Avoid profane chatter, for it will lead people into more and more impiety. That's a word we don't use a lot. Some of your translations may say ungodliness. And so the word piety is a, a word for devotion. A pious person is a a, devote, a person devoted to God, a person who loves God, a person whose life is marked by godliness. And impiety, in contrast, is ungodliness. So Paul says if you get into this profane chatter, it will lead people into more and more 
impiety. So again, right, it's not just, well, that person's got a problem. It inevitably affects the church as a whole. And you've probably seen or experienced this. Like when this, like the silly things come along, it has potential to really suck in a lot of people who probably wouldn't have really cared which kind of filing cabinet you had at the beginning of the story. But when your friends get upset and you kind of sympathize and you get pulled in, like stuff just spreads like wildfire. And for Paul, this deal, this like this has stunningly negative consequences on the holiness of the church. Because that word profane is opposite from holy. Like if something has been sanctified, it's not profane. And if something is profane, it's not set apart for God's use. And so Paul says, if you're going to get into this profane chatter, this unholy chatter, this, this waste of time, not just waste of time, but ruinous talk, like you've got to understand, you can kind of see the structure of the verse, right? Profane, unholy talk results in ungodly churches. Leads people in. Like it's not just the one person, it's big groups get pulled in. And so the opposite is true. Churches that resist, you know, like I hear you saying you're worried about that, and like I'm I'm sorry that 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 you're concerned about what color t-shirts people wear to church. Like if you're wearing t-shirts to church at all, does it really matter what the color is? <laughs> if you're going casual, right? You, you might say, like, like, I hear that, I'm sorry that's an issue, but I, I can't get pulled into that. And I wonder maybe if we could just put that on the shelf and, and focus on something that's more important. We don't normally say things like that in those instances, do we, though? Like when, when a controversy breaks out that really is a distraction from the gospel. Rarely will we say, hey, you know, brother, sister, I, get, I, I understand this matters to you. I understand. But I wonder if we could just sort of deal <laughs> Maybe put it on the shelf. And let's just say, like, let's focus on Jesus. And let's focus on the gospel. And let's focus on the mission. And you know what? Maybe that maybe that'll work its way out. And I wonder if the church Timothy's leading would have never needed Paul to offer this counsel. If more folks had had the courage to say, hey, you know what? Let's keep our focus where it should be. It's scary though, isn't it? Because we're talking about a church family. And people who we go way back with. And you never know. If you don't take their side, what will happen? <laughs> or what will be said? And so we kind of feel the, like we feel the weight of this, don't we? Like we feel the pressure... Timothy undoubtedly feels that pressure. And what Paul is trying to do here is to help him realize that the consequences are so much more severe than his fear of someone not liking him. You let that, what does he call it? Profane chatter, wrangling over words. You let that run, it's going to snowball. 
it's not dealt with, it'll spread like wildfire until the church is profaned, ungodly, and ruined. Like, that's a big deal. I think of times where I, maybe I was hesitant. Because we don't like dealing with controversy. And how deeply we need to hear the call of the apostle to guard the people of God, to guard the church from things that have potential to ruin it. Because if we allow ourselves to be provoked into this kind of stuff, we are simultaneously allowing the gospel to be forgotten. And a church without the gospel ain't a church. Verse 18, another consequence. They are upsetting the faith of some. This Hymenaeus and Philetus. They've swerved from the truth, he says in verse 18, by claiming that the resurrection has already taken place. We've already said we're not super clear on what that means. But Paul sees this as a controversy that isn't worth your time. The certainty of the future resurrection of the body for Paul is well documented across his letters. And when people go and kind of run counter to that, he ain't got time for it. And the consequence, he says, is they're upsetting the faith of others. Right? And so again, like we get this thing portrayed, and maybe it's helpful if we remember the sorts of, thing Paul says, sorts of things Paul says in Philippians 2. And I tend to think actually Philippians and 2 Timothy were written pretty close to each other in terms of Paul's life. They're just a few years apart. But there's some similarities that come across there. Both are imprisonments, maybe different imprisonments. But he's talking about how Jesus looks not to his own interests, but to the interests of who? Others. He talks about how Jesus empties Himself and becomes a servant. Even though He's God, He becomes a servant, a slave even. He talks about how Jesus is obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And the whole thing, and He's encouraging the Philippians here too, is, is other-oriented love. What does holiness look like? It looks like other-oriented love. What does is, what is Christ-likeness look like? It means I say no to me and yes to you. It means, it means I'm, I'm focused on what I can do to care for others. And so if these two guys, Hymenaeus and Philetus, are propagating false teaching that is ruining or upsetting the faith of some, where's their focus? Right here. We're going to tell our speculation regardless of what it does to your walk with Jesus. And what Paul wants is other-oriented love. Because that's the heart of the Gospel, isn't it? That Christ died, that He was crucified, that He bled, that His body was torn, and his, he, he, he suffered for us, and He was buried as the climax of this godly other-oriented love. He's not arguing with anyone. He's not distracted by trifle. He's not focused on, what do I get out of this? He's not focused on his agenda. It's thoroughgoing, other-oriented, self-giving, sacrificial, radical love. 
And when we kind of slide into these places where like like these guys, and we do this, like we do this sometimes. Maybe, maybe it's not as severe here, but it's, e- it's we are easily ensnared, aren't we? We are easily ensnared. Like it has disastrous potential. Disastrous potential for the mission of the church. Like how many people are done with church in the United States? Because when they hear the word church, they think people who argue over with each other over stupid stuff. There's this whole thing out there right now, maybe you've heard of it, called deconstructing. Anybody know what deconstructing is? Ex-evangelical is another one. They're like things. If you're not on the internet, you may not know about them. But the idea is people who kind of grew up in church and they kind of saw some of the contentiousness and maybe, maybe like they didn't feel like people were really authentic followers of Jesus and that kind of different things happen and maybe some of the leaders are not leading well. And Jesus, I see other-oriented love and when I look at the church, I don't see it and so I'm done. That's what those terms mean. X. I'm out. Deconstructing my faith because the people who say they love Jesus are constantly doing this. That's why Paul says the consequences of this are ruinous. Ruinous. Upsetting the faith of some. So he wants Timothy to hear that. You get provoked into that kind of stuff. You get distracted from the gospel. You forget the gospel. You forget the mission. And all you care about is getting your way about whatever it is. It's hard to be a church when you're doing that. So he invites Timothy and he exhorts Timothy not to let these kinds of controversies hold back the holiness of the church and ruin the faith of those who see it. I don't want to be responsible for that. I don't want to stand before Jesus and say and hear him say like you got caught up in some stupid stuff, man. And these people who are watching were hardened against my gospel because of it. We want to be gospel people. We want to remember the gospel. And we want to be vigilant regarding everything that has potential to distract us from the gospel. Remember the gospel, Paul says to Timothy. Remember it. He gives this analogy of utensils that you might have in your home. He says you got special utensils and you got ordinary utensils. The special things are made out of gold and silver. The other things are made out of wood or some other kind of non-precious metal perhaps. And the thing is, the analogy, the point of the analogy is, right, this is about being set apart. Like, do you want to be one of God's special instruments, right? Or do you want to just kind of run with a crowd? Like, do you want to be set apart in God's house for the work that He wants to do? Do you want to be the gold and the silver, or do you want to be like the wooden bowl that we use every day? 
that's ordinary. Right? This goes back to that holy profane. Do you want to be the stuff that's set apart for the mission, for the front lines, for doing the good work? So he tells him, right, in a large house there are utensils, not only of gold and silver, but of wood and clay. Some for special use, some for ordinary use. He says, if you cleanse yourself from the things I've mentioned, and what are the things he's mentioned? Wrangling over words, senseless controversies, foolish debates, all those kinds of things. He says, if you cleanse yourself from those things, right? if you push them away, if you have nothing to do with them, you will be useful to the owner of the house. It's like he's saying, God doesn't have use for people who get contentious over foolish things. Whoa. Because <laughs> we talk about, we want God to use us. We want to be available. We want to be there. We want to be used by God for the life of the world. And Paul specifically says, if you don't shun the immature things, you're no use to God. Man, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that. I don't want God to look at me and say, you are useless to me. Useless. What's the call? The call is to resist provocation into the pettiness that ensures we lose our focus. The Gospel is a priority over anything that's not a gospel issue. Nothing should distract us from the gospel and the mission. Now there's some wisdom that has to be developed here. Because there's two kinds of controversies that show up, right? There's the kind that don't matter and the kind that do. And Christians, disciples, have to be mature and discerning so that we can tell the difference between the things that don't matter and the things that do matter. So constantly with Paul in the ancient world, he's saying, look, I get it. You Gentiles will eat anything and you Jews are really worried about their menus. Don't destroy the house of God for the menu over what's on the table for food. Like that's a difference that doesn't matter anymore. Just eat together. The unity of the church is more important than your scruples at the table. But there are other things that Paul insists on. He insists on making sure when the church comes together at the Lord's table in 1 Corinthians 11 that the poor get fed before everybody else drinks all the wine. Because again, what's the question? Self-indulgence or other-oriented love? When you come together to eat the Lord's Supper, and the way they were doing it, it was like a whole meal, not just a you know, a wafer and a dip it in the juice. Like it's a whole meal. And chances are, 
Who's going to provide the meal? If you've got a congregation with a handful of wealthy people and a whole lot of poor people who are just barely making it day to day, the wealthy people provide the meal. And in ancient Roman culture, they get the place of priority and they go first. And so Paul's saying, hey, you know, like when you have the Lord's Supper, if the poor go hungry, you are drinking and eating condemnation on yourself. So that's not a senseless controversy for him. It really matters. So we got two illustrations of controversies about eating food at a table. And Paul wants the churches to be able to discern which one doesn't matter and which one does. And so when it, and, and this, like this is the case. Four churches, four pastors, four leaders, four the lady, four all of us, when those kinds of things arise, we've got to be able to sort of sit back and say, all right, we got this question. Let's talk about it. Like, is it an essential And I was really by the uh, end of this text. He tells Timothy that in verse 24, the Lord's, Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kindly to everyone, an apt teacher, patient, correcting opponents with gentleness. He said, God may perhaps grant that they will repent and come to know the truth. It calls for the church leaders to be faithful in the gospel and patient and gentle. <laughs> and the purpose of that is so those who are creating the, the senseless conflict may escape the snare of the devil having been held captive to it to do his work. Paul think this is important? He is saying that when we give ourselves to controversies that distract us from the gospel, we are literally in the trap of the devil and we are doing the will of Satan. Let that sink in for a second. Like for Paul, this is, this is clear. If we propagate senseless conflict that ruins people's faith, that shipwrecks their faith, that undermines the holiness of individuals and the church, and that distracts the church from the gospel and its mission to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and the nations, if we lose... Tell you this, friends, hell rejoices when Christians battle one another. Hell rejoices 
church gets conflicted over non-essentials. Because it makes with tasks the job of the demons easy, doesn't it? We may think that Satan is the one perpetuating the conflicts. We take care of that without his help, don't we? All he's got to do is sit back and watch the church rip itself apart. The church that Jesus died to rescue and unify the church for which he shed his blood. To rescue, to redeem, and to sanctify. And so for Paul, at the end of the day, like this provocation to senseless wrangling, he says to Timothy, do you want to do the will of God or the The senseless wrangling isn't freedom, it's a snare straight from the pit of hell. Which makes me think, man, I need to keep my eyes open, don't I? I need to be constantly discerning like what matters and what doesn't. What do we fight for and what do we let go? What holds back the mission? What advances the mission? What advances the gospel, what detracts from it? That is the chief question. And we need to remember that we are easily ensnared people. Just jump on social media. Right? It's not just church, it's everything. Every preference that anyone has, you can find somebody else who's going to take the other side, and most of it doesn't matter. You find people arguing over things that you've never heard of and that have like no significance in the world. And it's true of us for a culture as a whole, isn't it? And it is all the more urgent now for the church to not be a microcosm of the culture as a whole. The pettiness that happens in Congress cannot characterize the church. This ain't about scoring points. The devil wants you to think it is. It's not about scoring points. It's about the glory and the salvation of the nations. So things that seem insignificant for Paul can have ruinous consequences. You may be finding yourself reflecting on just the conflict that's happening in Methodism as, or the United Methodist Church as a whole right now. I've begun to see and have had this conversation with others that the next few years are going to be pretty messy for the UMC. The 
rancor, the anger, the frustration. The conflict is very much an essential because the question is whether the, the Word of God is authoritative for His church. That's a hill we're going to die on. It's a hill we're going to die on. But we can do that without pettiness. I've seen instances in the country where you've got churches that want to stay and pastors that want to go and vice versa, churches that want to go and pastors that want to stay. And sometimes unwisely that makes its way onto social media. And when churches and pastors are in conflict on social media, the loser is the gospel. It breaks my heart to see colleagues and congregations right now. So even when we're fighting for essentials, we have to do it well. Because we live in a world with media forms that ensnare us to say things we'd never say to someone's face. Because, well, you know, somebody will click that little thumbs up and I'll feel good about myself. That's why people leave churches or never show up in the first place. This takes wisdom. It takes wisdom, doesn't it? And wisdom comes when our eyes are on Jesus. Never letting ourselves get distracted. Fully focused on the Lord, His calling, His purposes, the vocation He's given us. What a privilege it is to be people that God has set apart for special use. What a joy it is. That should put smiles on our faces, brothers and sisters. The Lord has set us apart to be useful for the advance of the gospel and the growth of the kingdom. So let's remember that we are easily ensnared. Let's be vigilant to avoid that. You've been listening to SermonCast, the online preaching ministry of Hope Hole United Methodist Church. If you enjoyed this message, consider sharing it with a few friends. Remember to visit us at hopeholeumc.org sermons and subscribe to get notified when new content is posted. Thanks for listening.